Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And good evening. I'm Keith Porter in the studio, and my guest on the Sages Among Us this evening is Michael Axelman. Uh, we're uh, distanced, of course. Michael is at home, but uh, we're going to have a great conversation. Michael is a psychologist with a family practice who consults with parents, therapists, child care providers, schools, and prisons on child and adolescent development. He's also an author, and he's a DJ. He broadcasts The Blue Garage every other Sunday afternoon on KVMR. Michael, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. I'm glad to be with you tonight, Keith. Great to have you here. Uh, let me uh, share a little bit of your background with our folks before we get started. Uh, you have a Ph.D. in psychology. You also studied philosophy, I know, in college. Uh, you uh, worked quite a bit in the Bay Area and actually started a foundation, I think, there. Maybe I'm wrong about that terminology, but you can help me correct it. Um, you have, a, have developed a process you call CARE, C-A-R-E, Parenting, uh, you've written a book about that that will be published one day fairly soon. And uh, you've been in Nevada County for a few years, raised your family here for the most part, I think. And uh, you uh, volunteer at Folsom Prison. And as I mentioned, you are a DJ right here on KVMR. So it's great to have you here. This is going to be a fun fun thing. we got a lot to talk about in your life, don't we? Thank you, Keith. I am glad to be here, I guess, and talk about these different hats that I wear and some of the other passions I have besides being a DJ. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I think I think you're you're an interesting guy. We got we got lots of uh, interesting anecdotes and adventures to go into. Uh, but uh, let's start with your early life. You grew up in and around Philadelphia. You had uh, a couple of brothers, I think, right? Um, and um, how? What, what about your early life? Your parents and your siblings and so forth. How did that influence your life's direction? Would you say? Yes, I was the, the middle child with uh, two brothers, and um, we were close in our own ways and kind of pounded our way through our childhood. Um, parents split when we were all kind of young in elementary school, and that brought us together as, as kind of a sit ship, um, but also brought a lot of fractures as well into the home. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, is a bad uh, is a not not a good thing for the life of a young person. But you've obviously come through that and uh, done a lot with uh, with your life from there. You studied, as I mentioned, philosophy and psychology at uh, University of Vermont. You were obviously a good student because you graduated cum laude, beta phi, phi beta kappa. Uh, but tell us about those two disciplines, psychology and philosophy. You put them together in kind of a unique way, I guess, right? Well, I was always interested from a young age in the question why people do what they do. Um, I had a speech impediment that didn't really resolve until third or fourth grade. So I spent my childhood, my first 10 years, observing and not doing very much speaking. Um, so I was contemplative at a young age. Um, 
shy and inhibited and kind of more into books and more into thinking and playing sports. Hmm. And the opportunity to bring kind of philosophy and psychology together in my undergraduate years um, was a way of kind of fulfilling those questions about why people do what they do and what are some of the foundational underpinnings, the big questions, what's knowledge, what's reality, what's the good life uh, that are asked by philosophy. So you uh, I must have emerged a bit from your, your sense of introversion, if I can put that label on it. Uh, you, before you went off to grad school, you spent the summer on the Yukon and two years teaching at Colorado Timberline Academy and leading outdoor activities. Um, so you, is it fair to say you came out of your shell in some sense to do all of that? You know, I did come out of my shell, and, and it happened by being a teacher in the classroom. I've had the opportunity of teaching, you know, all grades. I've taught preschoolers in kindergarten, elementary, middle school, high school, undergraduate and graduate classes. Um, One of my focuses is on development, human development. And this opportunity to teach youth and young children and teens at different ages and get to know them in the educational context has really informed the work I do today. Would you say that helped you uh, understand your, your, your main question, which is why do people do what they do? Did that help you really learn about that question? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, One of the things I can bring to psychology that not all clinical psychologists have a background in is development, human development, from young infant attachment to family relations to moving out into the peer group, having successful relations outside of the home. This has been an area of focus for me. And... um, I've learned quite a lot by close observation in the classroom. It can be quite a transformative experience, not only for the students, but for the teacher, right? So, Absolutely, absolutely, Keith. So, You're bringing great points. I mean, I, one of the things I found in the classroom as a teacher or as a therapist is that the adult has to change first. The adults in front of the classroom has to modify. If you're in preschool, you're in preschool. If you're in middle school, you're in middle school, and you need to modify your role in accordance with this setting. And that takes a lot of skill to know how to target yourself in these particular contexts and be successful to promote healthy development. You know, a word that's kicking around a lot these days is empathy, but I think it's an incredibly important word and um, is a basis many times for understanding other people. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Gee, empathy, you know, this ability to understand somebody else's perspective and to imagine what it's like to feel their experiences, their emotions, their circumstance is a central part of the work that I do. Um, What I'm finding, though, is that there's more and more of an emphasis 
in current society on feelings and this overemphasis on feelings over reason. And feelings need to be understood as more granular and they inform decisions, but we don't make important decisions in heightened emotional states. That that's not the way to inform the right choice. Right. Lots of mistakes get made uh, in the passion of the moment, right? Absolutely. It's, it's almost certain that you'll make the wrong decision if you do it in a heightened emotional state, mm-hmm. unless it has to do with, like, life or death. Right. And then, uh, yeah. If it really involves frontal lobe contemplation, you need to catch your breath, step back, bring some oxygen into the brain, and really do some thinking about it. Because it's in these emotional states, people go into black and white thinking, very rigid thinking that isn't flexible and supple, and they miss out on a lot of information in their environment and tend to make poor decisions. Yeah. So let, let's, uh, you know, speaking of development, uh, Michael, let's let's continue a little bit with your personal development in the sense that, uh, you know, tell us about your time in getting your doctorate at the University of Chicago. Uh, you were part of something called a Committee on Human Development. Um, wh- how was that unique and different from, you know, every other <laughs> psychologist doctorate student? Yes, this is a, a committee that brought was founded by the chair of the psychology department at the University of Chicago, the chair of sociology, anthropology, and education. So those four social science disciplines came together as a committee, and it was an interdisciplinary doctorate that I received in human development that touched upon all those, those four disciplines. So that experience must have really given you an opportunity to explore your your profound interest in development, in human development, uh, from many different perspectives. Absolutely. Yes, I, I studied um, urban African-American youth um, as my dissertation, and that was the area. I would go into the community, and I worked at a last-chance school, and I wrote up an ethnography of that teaching experience. Wow. I bet that's an interesting dissertation. Uh, I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today on The Sages Among Us is Michael Axelman. He's a psychologist with a family practice. He also consults with parents and therapists and child care providers, schools and prisons on child and adolescent development. Um, He's also an author and DJ broadcasting The Blue Garage every other Sunday on KVMR. So uh, we're having a wide-ranging discussion here. Uh, But let let me just finish kind of your your history. You came from Chicago, University of Chicago, to a fellowship at Stanford um, with your wife in 1999. Uh, What was the experience like at Stanford? Something new new and unique and different about that? Oh, it was so unique and different from the work I was doing in inner city Chicago, the South side. Um, It was a a very suburban phenomena, um, Palo Alto and working with, um, well, the emergence, the first wave of autism and Asperger's to really arrive into the Bay Area. And it's going back about 20 years ago. Um, and a lot of these community agencies were trying to figure out how to manage, you know, this big uptick. Right. 
So and that was training, and yes, and I opened up a private practice uh, soon after I finished the postdoc in uh, in Palo Alto. And that was the place where you began to develop, I guess, your uh, your philosophy or or process. I'm not sure which to call it. You call care uh, parent therapy, care parenting. That's right. It's called care parenting, and the care stands for caring adults and respectful environments. C A R E, and and the model views parents as kind of therapeutic agents who can function in therapeutic ways in homes with children being coached by a parent therapist. And they can create an environment that's more conducive to development. And the model's built on this idea that every parent is doing something right. They're either emphasizing the firm edge, let's get to business here, down to down to brass tacks, right. it's work, or the soft touch, which is supportive, tolerant. And under stress, the soft touch parent gets softer and softer. The firm edge parent gets firmer and firmer. And people just do what they know. And once they're coached to balance out their parenting and express that part of the parenting relationship, that's going unexpressed, it can shift the context of the family and open up new possibilities for relating between the parent and the child. Sounds like incredibly important uh, philosophy and incredibly important work, and I'm sure you you work that into your practice in a variety of ways, I'm sure. but back again to your background for just a second. You moved your family to Nevada County in 2012. I'm wondering why Nevada County? Uh, I know this is a very dynamic and interesting community. I love it. You know, lots of people do. But it must have seemed to you a little bit like a backwater uh, to someone so involved in avant-garde, profession, avant-garde professional activities in the Bay Area. So why Nevada County? Well, when I first moved up here, I was really straddling the Bay Area. Um, And we were having kind of educational issues as a family in the Bay Area, along with some other challenges. And it became clear that, you know, where we were living wasn't going to work for our family. Um, So we started exploring, took some visits and really found the, you know, just kind of were magnetized here, the foothills to this area. Well, and we did appreciate, yeah, the arts and uh, kind of the commitment to the earth and um, to community values was a big draw. Well, it's a blessing, I think, to our community to have you here. And uh, apparently it has worked. You've been here for, what, nine years. It's worked for your family then. Is that accurate? Yes, it has. Absolutely. Great. So, Michael, tell us a, a bit more about your current professional activities. I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about care, but um, you know, how do you how do you deliver that um, that philosophy through therapy, consulting, and your work at Folsom and all of that? Tell us all about how that all works for you. Yes, you know, a portion of my consulting practice is with other therapists who are interested in getting support with cases that they have. Um, so part of it is consulting and some of it is with teachers in the classroom using the same care therapy model 
and consulting with parents by phone. Um, so I'll do parent consultation with parents three to five phone sessions to help them balance out parenting in the home. And if that doesn't seem to create some traction, then refer to the best place. So it's, it's in addition to a first attempt to treat the issues, it also offers this opportunity to kind of diagnose and then put the person, if they need a higher level of care, once a week treatment, outpatient, outpatient intensive, because there's more severe issues, they can be identified in, in a couple meetings of consultation. Sounds like, uh, you know, tell, uh, uh, in a sense, telemedicine, although that probably trivializes the process, but that seems to be a trend as well. And, and how efficient to be able to at least help with some guidance, even in a time when people can't get together face to face. Oh, at this time, you know, over the last, you know, 18 months or so, there has been such a movement towards telemedicine. And, um, the number of services available by telemedicine, are, you know, are amazing, you know, including couples therapy, family therapy it is all being offered via telemedicine now. Well, that's, you're right on the cutting edge there, then. That's a, that's an important. Um, you have written a book um, and you're in the process of working on getting it published, I believe. But tell us a bit about the experience of writing a book. Uh, is that uh, Was that laborious? Did you spend lots and lots and lots of time on it? How did that work out? You know, it was at a time when I was teaching child therapy, the class that I was writing the, the, the book on the textbook. So it was a matter of turning my lectures into chapters. Oh, okay. Um, so you'd done, you'd done a lot of the prep work in, in one form or another in advance. Okay. Yes. Um, and I was teaching, you know, primarily how do you do that first interview with a parent? How do you conduct the interview to gather information about the child and the family? And then how do you take that information and conceptualize the case in a meaningful way that then you can then develop a treatment plan moving forward. So the book was really a how-to from the parent interview to treatment planning and treatment execution. Um, So it covered the whole process. um, And the part that I really like to bring forward in kind of self-published chapters is how do you think through this process? You know, what are the variables we're looking at? How do we weight them? And how do we come to this understanding about, you know, what a child's struggling with and how do we assist? So it would be a textbook for therapists and not a do-it-yourself book for parents working with their own family. Is that correct? That's right. Um, though the material in there really lends itself uh, to parenting because parents, if they can understand development, it really helps them as parents. Um, Because a lot of times what worked with a three-year-old doesn't work with a five-year-old. What works with a seven-year-old doesn't work with a 14-year-old. And you have to understand development and kind of these changing needs of the child and the family. 
You're bringing back lots of interesting memories for me of uh, raising my own children and watching my children be parents as well and uh, raise our grandchildren. So uh, there are uh, always issues. It's uh, interesting yeah. times. Oh, absolutely. I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Michael Axelman. He's a psychologist family with a family practice, does a lot of consulting with various folks, um, and he's uh, an author, and he's a DJ on KVMR. So, Michael, I, I want to go back, if I could, for a couple of more personal questions, if I may. Um, is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased of or, or proud of, pleased with or proud of? Well, it's it's developing the care parent therapy, you know, model or approach, you know, that really it, it works with any kind of intergenerational relationship. So you're bringing up, you know, the grandparenting, where this model applies very well for this same kind of intergenerational relationship. So having kind of developed, you know, a new way of intervening with parents that is strength-based, very positive, that utilizes their strengths as caring adults. I feel really proud of that because one of the issues with the field when I was trained is that the therapist would help the child, but the parent didn't necessarily feel good about this process. They had ambivalence because, you know, they're not doing it themselves. They don't get to be part of the repair. And if they're not engaged, then the uh, the context for the child doesn't change, does it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's really the key feature. I mean, it went back to going to the inner city youth that I studied during my time in Chicago, that if the context doesn't change, you know what I mean? If this is a crack epidemic going on in the inner city and the community has weapons everywhere, um, yeah. It's hard to help an individual child living in that environment. Yeah, how, how in the world can they possibly change their own behavior and survive? So, exactly. Let, let me ask you the converse question, uh, just to just to be uh, thorough about it. Is there anything you'd care to share about your life in retrospect that you'd do differently if you could do it all over again? <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of failures in my life. You know, I don't have a lot of regrets around those. Well, um, it's it said that we learn from our failures much more than we learn from our successes. And if we, uh, if we acknowledge that, then, uh, yeah, what's to be regretful for? I mean, yes. I mean, I, I have come to appreciate experiential learning, you know, in a new way, you know, having gone through challenging experiences, um, so this opportunity to turn kind of a breakdown into a breakthrough is, is something I really try to bring in my life day to day when I'm faced with adversity. Well, uh, and I was going to ask you a little bit about that in the sense that in your professional roles, you must hear about and see the consequences of some pretty difficult human experiences. And so how do you as a professional you know, avoid being personally negatively impacted in, in, a, in a way that, that impedes your own behavior. How, how, do you, how do you keep that at arm's length when you see real traumatic human experience in your environment? You know, that is something that takes years of professional work. Um, 
it does not come easy. And I, you know, I was devastated in the first 10 years of my work with the traumas that I was facing in my life. Um, and it, you can kind of walk around in a daze when you're hearing horror stories and you don't quite know what it is, but, but you're not quite yourself. You know what I mean? You're a little bit dissociated. You're a little bit removed. Well, and, and I don't mean to trip. I don't mean to trivialize it, but you know, watching the news can be very depressing. I know, you know, I have to, I have to remind myself that I, I, I need to understand this. I don't need to absorb the, the all the ills that are going on in the world. So, it must be something like that for you. Exactly. Um, you know, and then having compassion for people who you know became you know criminals who engaged in you know very unhealthy activity that caused harm and then to meet with these people you know trying to reconcile their acts and, and to be with them in a compassionate way and, and be very difficult and yeah so you do you do get exposed to that regularly i guess because you're working with prisoners in at Folsom on those issues is that right yes yes i do a, a, some crisis management consultation there so if if a highly violent and aggressive criminal goes suicidal. They need to be evaluated. Now, I'll do evaluations, uh, you know, of acute criminals in acute states uh, to determine if they need a higher level of care or not, mm-hmm. like a crisis bed or uh, a different type of facility than it's offered. Well, as a member of the community, I want to say personally thank you for doing that uh, difficult uh, work. It's uh, it's going to be to all of our benefit in one way or another. Um, what, Michael? What are the rewards for you personally for your civic engagement, the activism, the 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 counseling, the the work at Folsom, being a DJ for that matter? What are the rewards for you of all of your civic engagement? You know, the reward comes back to seeing the the fruits of what happens when there's a caring relationship between an adult and a child. Um, To see that sometimes just doing things a little bit differently, expressing care in a slightly different way can make big changes in the family. Uh, actually, that, actually, that awareness, yeah. excuse me, go ahead. Uh, no, yeah, that awareness kind of really does fill me up to know that it, it's such a simple thing as care that that can impact a child so much. And, and remind us, the CARE, your acronym, again, what are the words? It's uh, Caring Adults and Respectful Environments. And you bring together soft-touch practices of support and tolerance and praise with firm edge practices of challenge, limit setting and consequences. And you figure out what the parent's doing right and you help them balance out that part of the caring relationship that's going unexpressed. So in our last couple of minutes, Michael, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your job, uh, your other job as a DJ on KVMR. You broadcast the Blue Garage every other Sunday. You explore the outer limits of R&B and soul music. What does this show add to your life, and what's the connection between those music genres and your professional work? 
Well, this is, you know, this really is my own therapy. You know, what I get to do with children in the playroom is play therapy. And coming to you from the Blue Garage is my play therapy. Um, it really gives me an opportunity to express my creativity and connect to music that I'd like to share. So, so it, it anything... Music, yes, yeah, the yeah. center and reaches out to jazz and country and R and B and blues and explores these intersections between soul and these other genres. Okay, so Michael, my last question: If uh, somebody gave you, let's say, I can give you a magic wand here, uh, what would you change in our community to improve things? What what is what is the best thing that we could do to improve our life in this community together? I think the adults really need to become aware that there's children who are managing their anxiety by avoiding things, by disengaging, by hibernating. And we need to reach out and connect with these youth who really need peer connections. They don't need another adult. They need to find a way to connect with their peer group. And we need to facilitate that process as adults and let the peers do their thing. So I, I hear you uh, voicing support for the Friendship Club and NEO, for example, and other outreach things that, that are done in our community for, for youth. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I think it's really important. The youth are in crisis. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today has been Michael Axelman. He's a psychologist with a family practice. He consults with parents, therapists, child care providers, schools, and prisons on child and adolescent development. He's an author. He's a DJ of the Blue Garage every other Sunday afternoon on KVMR. And uh, we appreciate you listening to The Sages Among Us. And uh, we hope you'll join us next week at 6.30 for the next episode. Thanks very much for joining us and for everything you do to make your community a better place.